0: Let's open our Bibles, first of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, before we go back to Matthew 28. 1 Corinthians 15. How are you guys doing today? Are you doing all right? Okay, just checking. 1 Corinthians 15 and then Matthew 28. In verse 1. It says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. That makes it kind of important, don't you think? Yeah. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So he's saying that these, these truths are so important. You've got to hold on to and hold firmly to them because they're so important. And then he gives us what the truths are in verses 3 and 4. He says that for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Then he goes on to give a whole list of people that he, that, uh, he appeared to that, that saw him alive. By this gospel you are saved. Very, very important stuff. So we've been looking in the last two uh, times at the death of Jesus and then the burial of Jesus. And today we're going to finish with the resurrection of Jesus. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Last time we looked at the burial and we saw what really stuck out to me was this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus It said he was a follower, but he was also had a very important role, this being a member of the sanhedrin, the the Jewish ruling council. And it said that he had been a secret disciple, but it came to this point in his life where he said, "You know what? I, I just have to do what I need to do." And he stepped up and he was no longer. it says that he went boldly to Pilate. He asked for Jesus's body. you remember the story. and at great personal cost, he stepped out and, and let everyone know that he was a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. After Pilate confirmed that Jesus was truly dead, he ordered that the body be given to Joseph, and Joseph, along with another member of the Sanhedrin called Nicodemus, they wrapped Jesus' body with spices and strips of linen, gave it a proper burial in a brand new tomb that belonged to Joseph. So out of their own resources... They gave, they did what they could. The women, again, they were also there seeing what was going on. And the Jewish leaders, if you recall, they asked for security. They want security measures to guard the tomb so that Jesus couldn't just get out. And they got the measures. They they were approved to have the measures and, and to have this giant stone put in front of the tomb which nobody could move from the inside, and it was very difficult to move from the outside. Jesus was truly dead. Romans chapter 6 says that we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. There's something about this, something so very, very important about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. This isn't something we just believe over there, but it's something we believe in here, and it changes our lives that we might live a new life. That we might live a new life. Just say that with me. A new life. Say that one time. A new life. It's it's good, right? Not the the same old dead life. You read, Paul talks in times, he says, you know, we all used to live like that, but but God has given us a brand new life. So today we want to look at, at what empowers us and what changes everything. Really, this is the game changer, the resurrection of Jesus, that he rose from the dead. This changes everything. Someone said this, that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the central fact of Christian history. And on it, the church is built. Without it, there would be no Christian church today. And that is true. Jesus' resurrection is unique. Other religions have strong ethical systems, concepts about paradise and afterlife, various holy scriptures, but only Christianity has a God who became human, literally died for his people, and was raised again in power and glory to rule his church forever. You say, you say, well, you know, there's lots of religions and, and people you talk to, you know, in, in, in your job and in your family. There's lots of religions, but, but there's something that is very, very different and unique about Jesus Christ, which is why Jesus was able to say that through him, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And through him, there's no other way to get to heaven because there's something very different, that he came and he died for the sins of all mankind, and he rose from the dead, defeating death. The key words in this section we're going to look at, let's turn back now to Matthew chapter 28. The key words are these, come and see and go and tell. Come and see and go and tell. Just keep that in mind. Come and see for yourself and go and tell others. Verse 1, chapter 28. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. They were the last to leave, and now they're the first to return. The women, they were there. What an an example. Now, it says that they brought spices in Mark so that they might go to anoint the body of Jesus. So it's also true that they expected his body to be there, right? They didn't really think that he was going to rise from the dead. but, but, But even with that aside, the fact is that they went, and they were there. They were dedicated. They were committed to this man, Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus changed everything again, as I've already said. verse 2, it says, There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. There was another earthquake. We saw an earthquake back in chapter 27, a huge earthquake. And, And I, you know... Earthquakes are kind of cool, but they're very, very scary. A little tiny one, we, like we had in Rhode Island a little while ago, that's—I can kind of handle that. The couch shaking a little bit. But earthquakes are pretty scary. They're—they're—they're—you know—they can do a lot of damage. But—but but the fact is that that something radical was happening here, and there was this huge earthquake, a violent earthquake. It says. And an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, one of God's messengers, and it says he went to the tomb and he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. Now on the way there, the women had said to themselves, they, you know, who's going to roll the stone away? They knew they had a problem, right? They got their spices ready. They wanted to go and put the spices on the body of Jesus. That's why they were going there, right? But they said, I don't know, you know, how are we going to get in? Because we certainly are not going to be able to move that stone. And before they even get there, it's done. Before they even get there, it's done. You know, some of the the facts of this account here just just blow my mind. Before they even got there, God had worked, you see. And and in our lives, too. But, you know, we wonder, well, how am I going to do this? We worry, how is this going to happen? How can I ever make that? How can I ever pay the rent? How can I ever do what I'm going to do? But God knows what's going on in our lives, and he's ahead of us. He's ahead of you. Can you believe that? Do you understand that God is actually ahead of you? You think, well, no one could be ahead of me because here I am. And how could he be? But he is ahead of you in all ways. And also always. You see, God is able. That's why we sang that song this morning. God is able. And he rolls back the stone. He rolls back the stone. How many of you, you know, are, are all locked up and, and, and God wants us to uh, roll that stone away? Well, he's the one that can do it. You can't do it anyways. They couldn't do it. So God sent his angel down, his messenger, and, and he is way ahead. And, it, it, you know, I read a little bit about this that it says they sat on it and, and they, you know, was like they're wondering, did they actually just roll it and sit on the top or did they roll it and throw it down on the ground? And he just sat down on it. It It's just like a picture of victory, a picture of triumph. That stone is laying flat on the ground. We don't know for sure. But I certainly think that the picture of triumph is certain. That he's the one who rolls back the stone. He does it in all different ways. But here it was actually incredible. Now the stone, by the way, the stone was rolled back. And, and uh, you, I'm sure you understand this, but just say it again, that the stone was rolled back not to let Jesus out, right? You know that, right? Because he wasn't in there. Now, I, I put this up here, um, but I read it and I go, you know, we got to clarify this. He's, he is here, right? Today he's here. That's a picture of the tomb. He's not there, because he's here, because he rose from the dead. He's alive. And... Uh, If I had the previous picture there, I could show you the empty tomb. The one that many believe was the actual tomb. Others see a different one. But the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away. Why? To let the people in so they could see that he wasn't in there. Because if the stone was always there, they could say, well, he's still in there. But he... You know, we saw and we see later in, in, in the, the history of, uh, of Jesus after the resurrection, he could go through walls if he wants to. He can just appear wherever he wants to. In, in his resurrected body, he can do whatever he wants to do, whatever he needs to do. He could do that. He's, he's all-powerful. But for the people to see, that's what was important, for them to look in and see. The the women, and then later some of the disciples that would look in and see. Verse 3, it says that the angel's appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were white as snow. We get a little picture, I think, from heaven that, that this angel came down from heaven, right? Isn't that what it says in, uh, in verse 2? Um, An angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And then we see that he looked like lightning... His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. So what does that tell us about heaven? It's what? Pure, white, which tells us what about heaven? Which tells us what about God? What? That that key word I'm looking for begins with an H, ends with a Y. Holy, yeah, the holiness of God, the incredible purity and in the holiness of God. This is an angel that comes down from heaven and, and revealing what it's like to be in heaven. You remember when Moses went up on the mountain and he met with God and he came down, they, it's, they couldn't even like look at him. Why? Because the, the glory was shining off of him, reflecting off of him. He had to put a veil on until it kind of like mellowed out a little bit, right? The glory of heaven we see here even in this messenger that came down because, because he's, he's there. I mean, you know, if I was an angel, and I don't believe, just for a minute, I want to explain to you, I don't believe that people turn into angels. But if I was an angel, not a people turned into angel, but a real angel. If I was an angel, I, I would like to have that job. I would have wanted to be the guy there, right, that, that showed up and said, wow, what are you looking for? You know, with a Rhode Island accent. (laughs) What you looking for? His clothes are white as snow. To be there to to you know like this is the the, like I said the the most incredible you know uh, uh, a time in the life of the church that that it's all changed now. It was cool. When Jesus was walking around on the earth, he was healing people, he was, he was preaching the word, and he was telling people about the kingdom of heaven, and, and it was incredible. But, but now, he was, he was killed, he, he died for our sins, he was buried, he was dead in the tomb, and he rises from the dead. Now, this changes everything. I was thinking about a hymn, it was coming. To me, And uh, we we don't sing a lot of hymns. I don't know a lot of hymns, but this one that I used to, we used to go and minister in a, uh, uh, like a retirement home. And uh, there was a gal in there who played the piano. And so she played all these hymns, right? And and so we we learned some. But the the song about, you know, we serve a risen Savior. Uh, uh, You know, that he lives and he lives in me. How many of you remember that song? A bunch of you. You know, this this is a this is what separates christianity from all other religions and that's just what they are they're all the religions this is reality this is jesus the faith in our lord and savior jesus christ this is what saves us we read in 1st corinthians 15 verse 4 the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men that's incredible too you know that the, the word that's used there uh, when it says that they shook, it's, it's uh, from the same word, the same root word that earthquake was in the previous uh, section there. So in other words, they were like shaking. And then it says they kind of became like dead men, they fainted. It was more than they could deal with being there at that particular moment in time. The stone was moved, the seal broken, the guards. It's all useless anyways when, when people try to fight against God, right? All, that, all those measures were completely useless. And the truth of the matter is that for, for you and I to fight against God, how far will we get? Not only you and I, and, and you and I know better, right? And sometimes we still kind of, you know, get a little... Attitude, but but for the world that shakes its fist at God, how long can that go on? There will come a day. There will come a reckoning. Before the majesty and the power and the glory of God, you cannot fight against God. You cannot stop God. Verse five, the angel said to the women, "Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified." Do not be afraid, the, the angel says to these women. And, and that's a message to them as well. The, gar, the, the guards, it says, they were so afraid that they, they just completely lost it. And the women, I'm sure they're kind of you know, on the verge of freaking out too. And, and, but the angel says to them, don't be afraid. For I know, I know that you're looking for Jesus. I know what you're looking for. I know what you need. I know what is going on in your life. I think the message is the same for us, too. If you, if you get what a uh, concordance, how many of you know what a concordance is? Just checking your biblical knowledge here. A concordance basically lists every word in the Bible, and you can you know, you, if you look up the word fear, you can find out how many times in the whole Bible it uses the word fear, right? And it'll tell you every verse, and you can find that. If you go and do a study in your concordance and look up uh, don't be afraid or do not fear, and these kinds of things, it's in the hundreds of, of times. Why is that? Because we're like prone to fear, are we not? One of the things that, that God deals with us and God uh, wants to minister to you and to me is, that, is what we see here, and we see it over and, over and over in the Bible, over and over again. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Because we're just fearful people. We fear everything. We fear fear. We're afraid, you know, to go fill a basket in the back because I might put the wrong can in. You know, we're af- afraid to go and, and bring a basket to a family down the street because they might look at us. Or they might say something or they might smile or, or whatever. We are afraid of everything. And and you know, they have words for all that, right? Claustrophobia, agoraphobia. Richophobia. Some people are afraid of me. I, 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 well, I guess I can't understand why. I'm kind of scary. I'm, a, I'm afraid of me, just so you know. Do not be afraid, he says. God knew their hearts. He knew what they're looking for. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He knew what they wanted to do. He knew that they wanted to anoint the body of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Why not? Why not? Why not? Because of verse 6. This is why not. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Why should we not be afraid? Because we serve a risen Savior, a risen Jesus Christ, the Lord. That's why. That's the only reason why. If he was still dead in the tomb, what good is he going to do you and me? Right? Right? How can he help conquer the fear in my life? But because he defeated death, because he is all powerful, because he is alive and he's living inside of us. That's why. That's why he says, do not fear. Because Jesus is risen. He's alive. Yes, he was crucified. Yes, he was buried. But now he's alive in our faiths in a, in a living Lord. Very different from all the other religions. They all have figureheads most of them where are they today he says he's risen he's risen he's risen just as he said and then they remembered his words the angel says come and see come and see the place where he lay remember i said the some of the the key words in this passage the first is found there come and see Come and see the place where he lay. Come and see. We have to come and see for ourselves. We've got to come and see. You've got to be there for yourself. You can't go by what your parents believed or your friends or or the pastor or anybody else. You have to come and see for yourself. You have to come to the cross and the resurrection and see it and know it for yourself. Or you have nothing. Or I have nothing if I have no true understanding of the cross the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have got nothing. So I might as well just go home. I could read a poem for you. I could maybe, you know, sing a song or do some some nice things that make you feel good for a few minutes. But eternally, unless unless we're talking about the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ who died for our sins, we got nothing. He says, come and see. Come and see. I love what, Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Unless you and I come and see, unless we truly go to it for ourselves, we, you know, we're just wasting our time. You can come and, and be here. You could come here week after week, year after year, decade after decade, and we're in the decades now. Some of you have been here decades. How many of you have been here decades? Whoa. <laughs> That's scary. I'm afraid of that. <clears throat> But God said, do not be afraid. (laughs) What was I saying? You're all stuck on decades. That's not what I was saying. Come and see. Come and see. I was saying you you could come here week after week, year after year, decade after... That's what I said. Decade after decade... And unless you have it yourself, unless you get it inside of you. Yeah, what good is it, right? You got to get it for yourself. Come and see. Come and see inside that empty tomb that he's not there anymore. Come and see inside. Verse 7, then he says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. Come and see, and then he says to go and tell. He says, go quickly and tell his disciples. Also, Mark adds, and Peter, he wants to make sure that Peter knows too, after his denials. Go and tell what you've seen, what you've heard. They haven't they haven't even seen him yet, but they've seen the empty tomb, right? Go and, go and tell others what you've seen and heard. You know, the, the last study that we're going to do next week in the book of Matthew, yes, the last study in the book of Matthew, wow, that is scary, is about the Great Commission, about going out into the, all the world and letting people know about Jesus and, and making disciples. That people are truly disciples, not just they hear, but they're disciples of Jesus. Go and tell what you've seen and heard. You remember in the book of Acts, uh, Peter and John, they're getting into a lot of trouble just because God's doing something in their lives and he's using them. And, And the religious leaders who thought they could squash the whole thing, right, if they just killed Jesus, right? And got him out of the picture. Well, that didn't work so well, right? Jesus rose from the dead. And now these, now these disciples who were, you know, they were kind of, uh, they, all, they all ran and hid, right? But after the day of Pentecost, they're all like now letting everybody know about Jesus. They're, they're, it's coming out of them. They can't stop it. The Holy Spirit is empowering them to be bold witnesses, and, and, and those same religious leaders now, they're saying, you know, you guys got to stop this. You got to stop telling people about Jesus. Stop telling people that Jesus rose from the dead. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves, whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. If if you truly have come and seen, and it's inside of you, it's just gonna come out. You can't stop it. You can't stop saying, God bless you to somebody and or or, or you, you know there's a need there. You can't stop and you can't stop yourself from asking if if you can pray for them. John the apostle said we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a picture there of fellowship. You can have fellowship with us because we're going to tell you what we've seen and heard and see, that's how people find out. You know, uh, we saw the, the Goodyear blimp going across the sky, you know, but, you know, it didn't tell me anything. But, Somebody came into my life and said, listen, uh, you know, my life's been changed. This friend of mine came and, and, and they were on the verge of divorce. Their, their marriage was just, you know, ready to completely be shattered and, and broken completely. But Jesus Christ, he met Jesus Christ and, and changed his life, saved their marriage and this man came to me, he said, listen, I, I don't know what else to tell you, but Jesus has done something in my life, and I, have to, I just have to let you know. And he took me to a place called Calvary Chapel in San Diego. And then he took me once and, and, and maybe twice, I can't remember. And then I went to find out for myself after that. I went back many times to see. I want to see. I wanted to come and see. I wanted to find out. Is it, what is this all about? And then God did a, an incredible work in, in, in my own heart, in my own life, as I, as I have told you many, many times. But for, for you and I to let other people know just what's happened in my life and in, and in our lives so that other people could also have fellowship. They could also join the fellowship with us and the Father and Jesus, His Son. Verse 8 says, So the women hurried away from the tomb. The women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. That's a a pretty telling verse right there, isn't it? Look, some of the things we've already talked about this morning in this passage, the fear, they still got fear, but now they got joy as well. And, And life, you know, what a mixture in this life, you know. I don't think that you and I are ever completely and totally freed from fear. And I don't think that we're ever totally and completely filled with joy. It's like we're human until we get there, until we're sitting there, until we see him face to face, until we're right there and know it all. And and God completely removes all that fear and all that pain and all that sorrow. I mean, if I asked you to raise your hand this morning, how many of you are facing some kind of pain, some kind of sorrow in your life? I would reckon to say that there would be a majority of people would raise their hands. I, could, I would raise my hand, no matter what is going in my life and, 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 and my relationship with Jesus Christ in these bodies, in this life, in this world. He said, in the world you'll have a tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. There, this world has kind of got a lot of pain and sorrow and tears. But when you read about what it's going to be when we get there, what does he say? No more sorrow, no more tears, and there's going to be no more fear. There will be joy unspeakable. What a mixture. Did you ever feel that way? Fearful, but yet you got joy. Fearful, yet you, you have faith inside you that it's gonna get better, that God is gonna work it out some way, somehow, but you still got that little bit of fear that's holding you. But then the joy kind of takes over because then they started running. See that? They start running. They could have let the fear kind of control them, right, and stop them. But it says then they ran to tell his disciples. And so there, there comes a point, too, where we need to make some choices like which are we going to go with? Which one are we going to go? Are we going to just sit here and let fear kind of con- completely control and ruin us? Or are we going to believe his word when he says, do not be afraid and go and tell? We have that kind of, uh, uh, you know, dilemma maybe you can call it when we're, when we're, we're with people, family, friends, whatever, and, and, and we're fearful to say anything sometimes. And we, we got to face that little battle where are we going to let the fear control me or are we going to tell the truth and we're going to run with the truth because that's where the joy is in the running, right? That's where fervor was. It says they ran to tell his disciples. They couldn't wait to tell them. Interesting thing about it is it says that when they first told them, and Luke tells us this, how did they receive it? It says, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They got so excited they wanted to tell them, it. and you think, well, well, my family might not believe me. Well, well, these people who, when they ran to tell the disciples, they didn't believe them in either. They, they thought they were like nuts. And you're, you know, you're family might think you're nuts too Jesus freaks Jesus nuts you see they didn't believe the women they, their words seemed to them like nonsense but Peter and John they went to check it out anyways which is good and people won't always accept us they won't always believe us but just be true and honest hey you know my life all I can do is tell you my story that Jesus is in my life that's all I can tell you read the book and they, first they read us, and then you can tell them to read the book. Verse 9, suddenly, suddenly Jesus met them. That's incredible. Greetings, he said, and they, they came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. Suddenly Jesus met them, they went from great joy to even greater joy. And the greater joy, the greatest joy was in seeing Jesus. Being with him, actually touching him, grabbing hold and and worshiping him. We were talking about that this morning, and all uh, quite a few people were speaking about worshiping him. They grabbed a hold of him. And they said, "You know what? We're not letting you go this time." And there's something about that, right? I'm not. I'm. I'm going to hold on to Jesus. You know, Paul talks about in Philippians. You know, I'm going to run the race. I'm going to. I'm going to keep going. I got. I got to, You know putting behind, you know, the things that are behind them, stretch forward to what's ahead to to grab the prize, to catch Jesus and, and follow him. And they worship him. And when we truly see him, when we truly see him, we'll worship him. That's what that's what sets us free to worship him is when we when we have a true encounter with Jesus Christ. There's nothing else we can do. When we have a true encounter with Jesus Christ, if it's not true, you say, well, I can't really worship. Well, maybe, maybe we need to have that true encounter with him. Where you say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I want you in my life. I, got, I want what it is that, that they had there. When they fell at his feet, they grabbed his feet and, and they worshiped him. Verse 10, then Jesus said to them, look at that. Same words. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. He gives them the same words. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. How many times do we need to hear it before we believe it, before we trust him, before we hold on to him and worship him? Why did he say that to them? Because they were afraid. We, we read it. They were afraid, yet they were uh, filled with joy. Afraid, yet filled with joy, and they, they even saw him, and he's there, and they're worshiping him, and they're still afraid. And you think, we got problems. Well, we got problems because we can't see him physically. But he says, go and, tell, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. He says, I'm going to meet with them too. Jesus wants to meet with as many as possible, Right? And go and tell my brothers, he says. I like what uh, one man said about this when he calls them brothers. He He says, not those habitual quarrelers, those men who promised to remain loyal to me no matter what would happen, but who when the crisis arrived left me and fled. Those men who, with one exception, were not even present at Calvary when I was laying down my life for them. None of that, he says, and instead... My brothers. My brothers. Is that incredible? The forgiveness of Jesus is incredible. Paula was talking about it this morning. It doesn't matter. He he forgives us, he washes us, he cleans us, he calls us family. No matter what, no matter what we've done, he calls us family. He appears first to Mary Magdalene, to the to the women, on the road to Emmaus, to others, to his disciples to doubting Thomas, to more than 500, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Warren Wiersbe said the change that took place in these believers, one day they were discouraged and hiding in defeat, the next day they were declaring his resurrection and walking in joyful victory, willing even to die for the truth of the resurrection. And that is what happened. They were willing to die for the truth of the resurrection. It meant so much. And because of their willingness and because of what they did, you and I have hope today. You and I are here today because of what those believers did back then. They laid down their lives because of the truth of the resurrection. Verse 11 through 15. Finally, it says, while the women were on their way some of the guards went into the city and they reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are, you are to say that his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and they did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The guards, the chief priests, the elders, they were all involved in this. The women, on, one, on the one hand, they were on their way to spread the truth, right? You, you see this. Uh, and then these all were trying to hush the truth and spread a lie. You have the truth and you have a lie. And they tried to perpetuate this uh, deception and they used money to do it but what what is interesting is that that the lies had to keep going and and, and what's true in all of this is is that uh, lies upon lies upon lies and if you tell one lie you got to tell another lie right to, to keep that lie alive let me read to you one more quote it says that First, the religious leaders had to get false accusers to give false reports at Jesus' kangaroo court. And then they had to invent false charges of treason against Roman authority. And here they developed an alibi for the guards, and if necessary, they would lie to Pilate to protect the guards and themselves. It says lying leads to lying. And if you start down that slide, there's a gravity that Keeps pulling you down. Invent one story and you'll have to invent another. Sure thing, a sure thing. Take a, a lesson from these sorry leaders. Tell the truth and live free from the worry that your cover may be blown. At home, require the truth from your children. And lift the truth or give the truth to them. And at work, be up front and square. The bumps you may feel over the truth are nothing like the boulders you'll have to climb by lying. To protect yourself. There's something about lies here. Of course. Jesus had spoken to them earlier. And said you know. You are of your father the devil. And the devil is just speaking his native language. And when we lie. We're speaking Satan's native language. Say that he stole the body. You know. The whole thing was kind of ridiculous really. They were reaching for straws. Trying to discredit the truth. And. And it's just beyond when when you look at and you could look at what happened there. You know, it, it, it's beyond the disciples' ability. First of all, they they weren't that. I hate to say it, they weren't that bright. And you are not, you and I are not that bright either. But <clears throat> you know, the soldiers they were. You know, they had seen this. They incredible things happened. Remember, it says they shook. They became like dead men. They saw all these things, and and yet. For the love of money, they were willing to jump on board instead of saying, you know what, I don't care how much money you give me, the guy is not there. And the disciples did not come and steal it. His body and, 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 and their lives are now on the line as well because to, you know, if, if that actually happened, they could be put to death because they weren't doing their job. If they were sleeping on the job, it incriminated themselves. Some other myths that came uh, about in in addition to this one is that the women and the others, they went to the wrong tomb. The women forgot, you know, they'd been there. I mean, Peter and John went to the wrong tomb too? The angel went to the wrong tomb? I mean, another one that I mentioned already, Jesus didn't die. He just kind of swooned away, He kind of fainted, and he resuscitated Another one, people said, you know, that, that all the people who saw him alive, they were all hallucinating. What about the time when there were like 500 people who saw him at once? Were they all hallucinating? Were they like passing around something? No. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, it says, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs, infallible proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the, excuse me, about the kingdom of God. 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. He's alive. He showed himself to them. We have eyewitnesses of what they saw, what they heard. He's risen. He's risen indeed. I serve a risen Savior. How do I know? Because he's, living within me. So come and see and go and tell. Come and see for yourself. Do you know him? Do you truly know him? Have you, have you gone to, you know, experience this life? Have you gone to, like, check it out, investigate? Well, go investigate it. If you're, if you're still kind of skeptical, investigate it. Go check it out. But I think if you truly come and see, you will be changed. And then when we are changed, he calls us to go and tell, go into all the world, let people know this is the way. This is the way. Shall we pray together?